Amen. Thank you, Dad. Psalms chapter 142. Psalms chapter 142. As we continue our series, Praying Through, a study through the prayers of David. We've looked at Psalms 56. We've looked at Psalms chapter number 34. And we've looked at Psalms chapter number 59. All prayers of David. And now we're in Psalms chapter 142. And the topic tonight is praying through loneliness. We talked about praying through betrayal and we talked about praying through humiliation. And now we're talking about praying through loneliness. Psalms chapter 142. Let me read all seven verses together and then we'll study it a little bit tonight. David says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge felled me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. In 2003, the American military named Saddam Hussein high value target number one. And they began one of the largest manhunts in history. They carried out 12 unsuccessful raids to find him. That also included 300 separate interrogations in hopes to gather information. Then came December 13th, 2003, where a special operations team called Task Force 121 carried out Operation Red Dawn. And this is where they finally found Saddam Hussein tucked away all by himself in a hole. How many remember that? Do you have a picture back there? You can bring up when our military found him, uh, one of the soldiers is quoted as saying, we found him hiding like a rat in a hole. As an American, I kind of rejoiced when I saw that picture. Can you imagine, though, being one of the most powerful men in the Middle East at one point, then hiding all by yourself for days and nights like a rat in a hole? I mean, that is going from one extreme to the next. That's basically where we find David when he wrote Psalms 142. He was in a dark cave, not necessarily a hole, but might as well have been. He was all by himself being hunted by Saul's army. In fact, David found himself at this point surrounded by pain on both sides. On one side, he, was, he, he, he felt the pain of betrayal. From his father-in-law, King Saul. And that's where he wrote Psalms 59. And then he, he left. He, ran, he, he got on the run and, and he found himself in Gath, Philistine territory, where, where, where Goliath was from. And he wrote two Psalms based on his experience in Gath. That's Psalms 56, where he, where he wrote and taught us how to pray through fear. And then, and then Psalms 34 where he wrote and taught us how to pray through humiliation because he had to humiliate himself in order to save his own life. He played like he was a madman being to spit and drool all over the place and, and scratch at the, at the iron gates and, until they finally let him go thinking he was a crazy man. 
And so he wrote Psalms 34 on, on how you pray through and you make an idiot of yourself, basically. And then he finds himself in the cave Adullam. And that's where he writes Psalms 142. And he's having to endure this pain, the pain of betrayal on one side, the pain of fear and humiliation on the other. He's having to endure it all in the darkness of a cave all by himself. Now listen, pain is difficult. But it's even worse when you have to bear it alone. That's where loneliness kicks in. And loneliness is, it looks different for everybody. In the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, my heart goes out to, to those in nursing homes. Can you imagine that? Have you seen some of those pictures of loved ones that are standing outside of a window with their hand touching the window and their loved one on the other side of the nursing home with their hand touching their side of the window? And you just get choked up looking at that as these elderly folks have to survive being basically alone in that place. There are those that, I, I know you can have a guess now, but there are those at the beginning of COVID-19 that, that had to endure that all by themselves in hospital rooms. One of my good preacher friends, Kenny Baldwin, came down with COVID-19 right, right at the onset of it. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area, and, and they almost had to put him on a ventilator. And he said the, the, in, an inter, in an interview following when he recovered, he said the hardest thing about it is that for two weeks in a hospital room, he was all by himself. Harder than the physical ailments, harder than the fact that, that he thought he might was going to die was the fact that he couldn't see his wife, couldn't see his kids. He was lonely. A child may be lonely because they, they can't make friends at school. A, a young adult might be lonely because they've yet to find a, a life's mate. A widow or a widower might be lonely because they lost their life's mate. A person who does have a life's mate may still feel alone because their spouse isn't present isn't loving, isn't a real friend anymore. I have found that church members can be lonely even inside of a friendly congregation because they've yet to make a meaningful connection. Leaders can be lonely because sometimes they have to make choices that many people don't like. Uh, law enforcement officers in our today's society can often feel lonely. Others are chronically lonely because they're struggling with serious mental health issues. Some are lonely because the only thing they can think to do after making foolish decisions is to isolate themselves from people. Listen, loneliness is no respecter of persons. It hit King David, the giant killer, the man after God's own heart. He's the one that found himself by himself in a cave, but, but it's through that loneliness that he chose to pray through. And as a result, we have this song. We have this prayer, Psalms 142. We're going to study it tonight. And we're going to learn two ways that we can pray through our loneliness. Two ways. Write this down. Number one, express your hurt. Now, now if that sounds familiar, it's because it is. I feel like every time David starts one of these prayers, he starts with this painfully honest admission of, of his hurt and how he feels to God. But I would submit to you, church, that there's really no praying through loneliness until you first articulate the pain of your sense of abandonment. You've got to be willing to talk with God about it. How so? In two ways, David teaches us. We ought to express our hurt audibly. Express your hurt audibly. Look at verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, 
with my voice unto the Lord that I make my supplication. The Hebrew word for cry denotes a scream. So, so the emphasis here is on a vocalized, um, articulated, audible praying. This is not introspection. This is not David getting in touch with his feelings. It's not self-talk. I believe when David was crying out that the walls of this cave were reverberating. Because what had remained pent up in his heart for safety's sake while in Gath now came thundering out in the isolation of Cave Adullam. H.C. Leupold said it'll be on the screen. Like turning the switch on a lamp that has no bulb. Little happens when our prayers remain holy, internal, and silent. There seems to be some advantage in putting trouble into words. It seems less threatening. We have its measure after we have stated it. Now, this is an important point, and here's why. Because I think as God's people, we pray. But I think during painful times, so often we're in the habit of thinking our prayers internally. And we fail to pray them audibly. We think our complaints to the Lord. We think about it. And we feel it deeply. Our, our, our pain of abandonment and hurt and loneliness. But oftentimes we don't truly vocalize those out loud to God. We don't sincerely cry out to him. But David didn't just cry out because he was mad. He didn't cry out just, just with empty words. He didn't cry out just audibly. He expressed his pain and so should we authentically. David made two authentic expressions regarding the pain of his loneliness. He admitted in verse 3, look, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Overwhelmed would, would describe that which has become feeble, uh, faint, tired, grown weak over time because of uh, circumstances. You can study that word and you can go over to the book of Jonah. Whenever Jonah was in the belly of the well, this is the same exact word he used in his prayer to describe to God, I am faint. Same Hebrew word. So you could imagine what you might feel like being in the belly of a well. That's the picture that David has being in a cave all by himself. I don't know if you've ever been in a cave. I used to go to, to, to a cave for school field trips with the Christian school back in the day. And of course, they had, they had some lit areas in there. But every once in a while, they would turn the lights out to let you know how dark it was. And you talk about lonely. Darkness is just scary either way. It's really scary when you've got an army trying to kill you. And it's really, really scary when you're by yourself. And, and so David and Jonah are feeling the same way. And he tells God, God, I'm, I'm absolutely overwhelmed. And then David was very real with God when he confessed in verse 4 that he felt abandoned. Look at it. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Did you see how David says that there was no man on his right hand? Why did he say that? Oh, because in that day, to the right is where a friend or, or legal counsel or, or bodyguards would have stood. Yet on this day, David had no bodyguard. He had no protection. He didn't even have a, a friend to vent to. No one to go to for counsel. And, and listen to this, catch this. It comes after David has been surrounded by people on his right and his left. This is a season that comes right after David, when he killed Goliath, and they, they wrote songs about him. And the ladies of the town were dancing around him. And he was on billboards all over the place. 
On top of that, he had a wife. He had constant companionship. On top of that, King Saul entrusted him to lead a group of soldiers. So he had men that he trusted, men he fought for, men he fought with. And then to go from all of that companionship and all of that loyalty and, and, and all of that support system to nothing, no wonder he felt abandoned. No wonder he said, I got nobody on my right. Not a wife, not a soldier, not even somebody to tell me I'm a good warrior. Nothing. I'm reminded then of, of the final letter of the Apostle Paul, the book of 2 Timothy. And he wrote that to his son in the faith, Timothy. And they say that, that he was in a Roman dungeon awaiting his execution. Tradition tells us that he was beheaded for his faith in Christ. As he penned his last letter uh, to Timothy, here's what he confessed. I think, I think this will be on the screen. That all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. My point is that even the great apostle Paul needed to express such emotions. Granted, he did so to a safe friend, but I think it's probably only after he had first done so to God. And you may ask, why is expressing our pain audibly and why is expressing it authentically so important? Well, well, we don't pray audibly and we don't pray authentically because God needs informed. He already knows. We pray out loud and we pray honestly because it frees our own heart. John Kitchen said this, if you do not articulate the cry of your lonely heart, you only confirm the lie that you are alone in this. The act of voicing your cry to God is as much as anything a shouting down of the lie that even God has deserted you. You're not being disrespectful, but acting in faith when you pray such prayers. And I want to I dig into this a little bit. Because when you pray out loud to God and you pray honestly to God in a real way, listen, it doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be put together. It doesn't have to be packaged just right. Or else it wouldn't be authentic. When you're hurting, you don't make sense. When you're hurting, you can barely talk. I don't think David's prayer was fancy and formal. I think it was raw and real, which reminds me of a show I used to watch as a kid with the, with the great host, William Shatner, called 911. Did anybody else watch that in the 90s? Son, I love that. It gave me nightmares, but I love that show. And I can remember when, when I would hear those calls come in in that show, the person always dialing 911 was panicked. They were under duress. They, they were scared. I never heard them composed. Sometimes they were mad. Sometimes they were hurt. They, they, they just weren't polished. You certainly didn't want published what you would say to a dispatcher when someone breaks into your house. And I think that's what our prayers are sometimes in the midst of loneliness and hurt. They're 911 prayers, and that's okay. They're made under duress when, when we're less than our best. Our, our, our guard is down. Our, our words aren't published. We don't want it published. But what we're real, we're real with God. And that's what matters most. And I also remember watching that show that on the other line was this composed dispatcher. And my heart goes out to them dispatchers. What, what an incredible job that they have, especially during some of these 911 calls that they get. And I never recall hearing in that show a dispatcher that would rebuke the 911 caller for being so loud. Could you just quiet down, please? 
could you call me back in five minutes after you pray about this? I never, I never heard them rebuking them for, for, for being, you know, just scared. They always said something like this. It's going to be okay. Hey, just stay on the line. I'm going to call help, but stay on the line. And they would call for help and say, you're still there. Now stay on the line. I'm sending help. Everything's going to be okay. Stay on the line. And that's the point with 911 prayers and with Psalms 142 prayers. The key is just to keep the line open. The key is to pray through until you get help. The point is not how carefully crafted your words are, how polished you are, how polite the verbiage. The key, listen church, is to call out to God, to get connected with God, to keep the line of communication open with God. And when you do so, you won't get a dispatcher. You'll get a loving heavenly father, a composed heavenly father, one that's not nervous, one that's not scared, one that's not fearful, one that's not overwhelmed, one that's not annoyed, one that's not confused, one that's not worried, none none that's patient in the streets of gold, you will get a composed, loving, heavenly Father and help will be on the way. You express your hurt. Got to do that. Here's the second thing we learn in Psalms 142. You embrace your hope. As is the case in all of David's prayers, praying audibly and authentically, it just is not enough. That's where it starts. If he ended there, He would have only prayed about his loneliness, which is what we do sometimes. But praying through his pain is what got him from hurt to hope. We can't stop too early. We can't just give a token prayer. We can't just vent to God. That's okay. That's okay. But this series is about praying through, not praying for, not praying about, not an item list on our prayer sheet. This is about in seasons of loneliness and we find ourselves in the darkness of caves in in life sometimes. It's about getting alone with God long enough to pray from hurt to hope. And that's what what David did. David, his hope was found in four facts about God. Because, by the way, biblical hope, it's always anchored in truth. Okay, it's not some empty wish list. It's not a hope so. It's a no so based on the character of our God. And that's important that you understand that. And so David's hope was based on four facts. Number one, God knows your route. I love this. Look at verse number three. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. It makes sense, doesn't it? That... That God would understand how David felt in a cave, abandoned and lonely. Because when God became flesh through his son, Jesus Christ, it was his best friends that slept while he prayed alone to the point of sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It it, it was his friend's kiss that betrayed him to death. He stood all by himself to endure a rigged trial. He walked the route of the lonely because he walked the route of the Via Dolorosa. The way of the suffering where everyone around him was spitting on him and cursing at him and beating him. He had to walk that cross to Calvary, bearing the weight of our sin. So lonely where he cried out to his own father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's hope in your loneliness because God knows your route. 
He knows your steps of loneliness because he's walked in them himself. I don't know about you, but just knowing that makes me feel better. Knowing that gives me help. Because in life, sometimes it's not so much that we need our circumstances to change to find peace. Sometimes it's good enough if somebody just knows what we're going through. If somebody can just sit alongside and really empathize, I didn't say sympathize, empathize, there's a difference. Sympathies mean you feel sorry for somebody. Empathy means you've been there, you've walked that path before, and you feel it with them. And when, when there's somebody just that you know has been in those footsteps, they've lost a loved one. They've miscarried. They've lost a job. They're living far away from grandkids. When, when, when you have somebody in your life that, that can empathize with you, it brings hope, doesn't it? It brings comfort. It brings peace. Which, by the way, you ought to always be somebody that can empathize with somebody else. Be on, be on the lookout for that. But I'm thankful that God knows. He knows what loneliness feels like. There's great hope to be found in that. Here's another character trait about God or fact about God. He's your refuge. Look at verse five. I cried unto the O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge. Nothing fancy to this, this part of the, of the message. Refuge means what you probably think it means. It means a shelter. Specifically in the time of storm. But, but loneliness is a weird kind of storm. Because it's not outwardly noisy. It's not outwardly windy and, and rainy and obviously roaring with thunder. No one's around to make noise. But on the inside, there's a hurricane of emotions going on when you're lonely. Emotions like self-doubt, depression, abandonment, isolation... And it's all thundering inside your heart at one time. And your mind is consumed with thoughts like, will it ever end? Will I always be alone? Is this really what my life is going to be like? What do I have to do to change this? Is there anything I can do to change this? And while you're feeling utterly hopeless because of your loneliness, you have to realize that your help and, and your hope is in God and he stands ready to shelter you even in the midst of that internal storm that a lot of people around you don't even know is going on. And I can feel, I can, I can just sense that David, when he realizes, man, God's my refuge. This cave is sheltering me from the, cold, from, from, from the rain and, and from the elements. But, but ultimately in my heart, God is my refuge. And I can imagine David, when he really realized that and placed his faith in that and prayed through to the point where he really believed that, that he just took a, whew, a sigh of relief. I'm okay. God's got me. He's keeping me safe. It's a lot how I felt when the tornado sirens went off when I was a little boy and living at 1440 South Grant. We didn't have a basement. And who, Brother Landis and Miss Landis lived across the street from us at that time. And so that was kind of our emergency evacuation plan. And I was scared of storms anyway. And my sister was really, really scared of storms. And when she got scared of storms, she made everybody in the neighborhood scared of storms. <laughs> Because they could hear the over-exaggeration and the, the, just the drama going on. And so you've got me who's really scared of storms, my sister who's really, really scared of storms, and my brother who's just walking out in the middle of the street like a gangster, doesn't even care about storms. 
And we, we get out of the house. We take our blankets, our pillows over to Brother Miss Landis. I can remember like it was yesterday. Miss Landis has these huge bath towels and and she wraps because it's the rain's going like crazy and we're soaking by the time we get over there. And she wraps us in those towels and we go straight downstairs to their basement. The TV's on. The news is on. Brother Landis got his feet propped up. And there's just something that happened without anybody saying a word. When I got down to that basement, I just went. Whew. All of a sudden, Tiff stopped crying. I stopped crying. It took her a little bit longer, but she finally got there. <laughs> TJ went to bed. It, it, just something that, that happens on the inside when you realize you're safe. You know what I mean? And David realized he was safe. He, he, I don't think that, that he, he, he really... I, I don't know, but, but I can't help but think that, that he probably thought that he was going to die. I, I don't think that saying God is my refuge meant that I, I got guaranteed safety tonight from death. But something internally said it's just going to be okay. And I think that David had that in his heart. And that's what God does for us. In the middle of the storm of loneliness, he is your shelter. And you feel very vulnerable and you feel abandoned. But you got to pray through to the point where you really, truly believe God, God's with me. He's got this. He's my shelter. He's my refuge. Let me give you another one. God becomes your reward. So God knows your route. He is your refuge. He becomes your reward. The last part of verse five. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Not that word portion described. It, it described a person's share in an inheritance. David is saying this, God, you're my inheritance. God, you're my reward. You're all I want in this life. I think a man by the name of Larry Crabb wrote it well. He said, the route to knowing God eventually passes directly through the valley of profound loneliness. It's in the times when there is no one but God that we learn to know him most fully. I don't know about you, but in moments where I felt like I was all alone, I didn't feel like there was anything good to come out of that moment. It didn't feel like there was any kind of reward, but I think David does teach us if we pray through long enough, or we refuse to quit. I think you'll find that the reward at the end of loneliness or right in the middle of it's God himself. Because as someone said, and this is so true, it's it's only when God is all you have. That you finally realize he's all you need. And there can be no greater reward that comes from any season of life than a deeper walk with God. I think, Dad, that's why the Apostle Paul prayed in Philippians, I want to know God more. And he, and he was so bold as to say, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Why did he say that? Because he knew that there was a level of closeness to God that can only be found in the valley. In fellowshipping with, fellowshipping with God during moments of loneliness and pain and hurt. I fear that sometimes God's people never truly get to that point where God becomes their portion because they spend all their time praying for God to fix their situation. And so their goal is not fellowship with God. Their goal is to escape from their cave. God, get me out of this. God, fix this. God, bring this into my life. Whatever is the band-aid in that situation for their loneliness, they pray for Instead of finding in their prayer closet a deep intimacy with God, they settle for just a quick fix. Have you ever thought that, that, that your season of loneliness 
might be the doorway to a closer relationship with Christ. Yeah. One more fact about God that brought David hope. Here it is. God grants you release. I like this last verse. It's on a good tone. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Here's the hope in this verse. This is great. Loneliness doesn't last forever. It's only a season of your life, longer than you want it to be, I understand. But at some point, I believe God will release you from the prison of loneliness. And notice what he releases us to, praise. Have you ever noticed that in David's prayer? It starts with pain, and he always makes his way to praise. And you never really see his circumstance change. It's just what praying through will do for you. It's what becoming a prayer warrior will do for you. And it's not about more discipline, by the way. I don't pray more because I'm not disciplined. It's a, it's a desperation problem, not a discipline problem. It's a dependence problem, not a discipline problem. It's not that you get tired and distracted. If we would get as desperate as David was for God, our pain would turn to praise and our circumstance wouldn't even have to change to get it there. It's just, it's just a product. He said, God, release me. So I might praise you. What is there to sing when you're lonely? Well, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Try that one. What a friend we have in Jesus. Try that one. But it gets better than praise because I think David implies that God will often reward our solitary faith and praying through loneliness with relationships. Because he said in verse 7, the righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I really believe, I really believe that as you pray audibly and authentically to God about, about your, your sense of abandonment and loneliness, however that might look for you, I think if, if a lack of relationship is attached to that, I think that God will award your faith oftentimes by putting somebody in your life at just the right time. Somebody righteous that you need. Man, I, I can't tell you the, the amount of times that, that I have needed that in my life. And it was the right person at the right time with the right word, with the right disposition, with the right heart. That was exactly what I needed. I can remember like it was yesterday I was experiencing for the first time in my life something that seemed so foreign to me for the first 19 years of my life. And that was real, true, deep, dark depression. I had no reason in the world to be depressed. I had everything that I needed. I was traveling with a quartet this particular summer, doing what I had dreamed from a little boy to do. That particular weekend, we were singing for a, for a youth rally. I had literally just, just went on stage and, and sang for, for young people that came from miles away to hear us sing and hear a preacher preach. And it's just like, man, I asked God to give me this and I, I got it. And we were having a wonderful time. And all of a sudden, I had felt something so deep, so dark that I never felt. It was brought on a little bit by sickness, a little bit by doubting my salvation in that moment. But, 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 but. But I felt so dark that, that I, I lied my way out of singing on that Sunday. That's how real it was to me. I told them I was sick. 
Told them I had stomach problems. So they got me Pepto-Bismol. I poured half of it in the sink. And I went back to bed. I, I remember calling my parents. And, 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 and there was just, I needed somebody. And that somebody came in the form of the one person on our group that I wasn't close to. The one guy in our group that I had nothing in common with. The one guy in our group that I didn't hardly talk to at all, his name was Rick Williams. He was our sound man. And he came in the room that night after they had sung on Sunday at church. And he noticed I had, I, I had tear-stained eyes because I did. I had never cried this much in my life. I, I feel almost silly telling you. I just felt so weird, so foreign to me. And Rick said, man, something's going on. You're not sick, are you? Like, you're more than sick. And I just, I lost it. I said, I don't know what I'm feeling. Something's not right with me. Like, I don't want to leave this room. I don't want to open the windows. I want to close the blinds. I want to put something over my head. I had never felt this before. And lo and behold, he had two times in his high school years, through the divorce of his parents and other things, had entered into impression and almost committed suicide twice. I wasn't suicidal at all. But, but I say that because he could empathize. And, and it was in that moment that, that, that God sent me somebody righteous that helped me out of that moment. And, and, and I'm telling you, all it took was just a conversation, a prayer. It took an open line with somebody that got me in that moment. And if you're in that lonely cave and, 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 and you, you're experiencing loneliness, I want to encourage you, just, just hang on. Hang on. Because I believe that God will reward your faith. He'll hear your raw and real 911 prayer. And at just the right time, it might be your spouse, it, it might be a co-worker, it might be a church member, it might be a pastor. I don't know, but, but, but in my case, it was someone I never expected and God surrounded me, compassed me about. It was just one person, but it felt like an army of supporters. And if that's you, just hang on. God rewards your faith with relationships. He can do it. As a pastor, my heart hurts when, when I sense that, that church members are lonely. It really does. And here's why it hurts. Be, because there's very little I can do about it to fix it. I can pray and, and I can help. But I have found oftentimes that, that people in our congregation that are lonely need more than, than, a, than the prayer of a pastor. They need a real relationship. And often people who are lonely won't look desperate in finding one. They'll just stay lonely. And I say that as just a way of application because it's great that I have a story on, on this side of it where somebody came to me. But I want our church to to be sensitive to these kind of things so that we can be the Rick Williams in somebody else's life. Does that make sense? And I think we get in such a habit of coming into church and out of church, going into our circle, four or five people or our Bible study class or our circle of moms or whatever, and, and, and we, we, we don't see outside of our circle. 
And circles aren't wrong, by the way. They're not wrong at all. You just ought to keep your circle open. It ought to always be getting larger. And, and I, I find that, that in our church that, that we tend to, to migrate to our comfort zones. And you've got to understand, church, please listen, as a church member, like you are a family. And shame on you and shame on me if we let our brother come in and out and in and out and in and out and we never notice when they're hurting. Shame on us. Shame on us, too, is if, if we just if we let the awkwardness of being a real brother, a real sister get in the way of doing it. We're not comfortable with that. You're going to have to become comfortable with those kind of things if you're going to minister to people. And I, I, I'm telling you, for one, I try to stay sensitive about that. And I have so many conversations with people that maybe aren't finding connections in our church or, or, or people that are going through just a lonely time. And, and my, I'm just telling you, my hands are tied, aren't they, Dad? Just, you're just kind of tied. It's like I come out on this platform and I look out on a Sunday morning and I see an auditorium of over 300 people and, 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 and another 150 surrounding us in, in the second floor. And, and, and I see individual faces, I do, and I know individual stories, but I feel overwhelmed because I can't meet all those needs. And I've already felt that in the four weeks of pastoring. I'm like, man, I know they're struggling, but I, I can't. I can't leave the platform and, and go talk to them and them alone all day long. And, and, and I can schedule a lunch with them, but I can't do it five days a week. And I can't go hang out with that brother every Friday and Saturday. There's other brothers. That's where the church comes in. God wants to use you as a righteous brother, a righteous sister to compass Somebody that's lonely right now to surround somebody that's lonely. I'm just asking, would you be sensitive to that? When you come in, talk to your people. Love your family that you see at church. Enjoy singing in the choir. Enjoy going to the people you're comfortable with. But would you keep your antennas up? Would you keep your eyes peeled for somebody that you can invite into your circle? And I'm not talking about a handshake when you walk by. I'm talking about a relationship. There's a difference between being friendly and being a friend. I'm talking about a righteous friend. Can we do that? Can we get better at that? Of being sensitive to that. If you're lonely tonight, I want you to pray the Psalms 142 prayer. Here it is. Number one, express your pain audibly and authentically. You've got to quit thinking these things internally. It's not, it's not introspection. When you pray through, it is raw, it's real, it's out loud. Get somewhere where you can close the door and nobody will hear you. Go drive in the country. When I was in college, I went down to this area by the softball fields in this wooded area where nobody could hear me. It's where I practiced preaching and it's where I prayed out loud. And if somebody heard me, they thought I was a lunatic, I guarantee you. But boy, it felt good to talk to God like that. And then embrace your hope. Hope in God's character. Claim it. He knows you're out. He is your refuge. You want him to become your reward. You're begging him for a release. Don't pray about these things. Don't pray around these things. Don't pray for these things. Pray through these things. And if, if you need to do that, Virginia, could you come to the piano and play what a friend we have in Jesus? If you need to do that tonight, let's do that at the altar. If you, if you aren't in a, in a season of loneliness, 
but you know someone who, who is, then you've got two options tonight. You can go grab that person if they're in this room and just put your arm around them and be a righteous friend that surrounds them. If you, if, if you don't want to do that or don't know somebody in the room who's struggling with that, but you know somebody in your life that is struggling with loneliness, then would you come and pray for them? And would you say, God, help me to be committed to not being friendly to them, but being a friend to them? Exactly where Rick Williams was to me. I, I would really struggle, struggle to think, man, what that summer would have looked like had, had that righteous man not surrounded me. I don't know. I, I might have gotten to the point where I thought ending my life is better than staying alive. God forbid any member of our church should ever get to that point. We have righteous friends that want to surround you and we need to become that kind of church. If you agree with God's word, say amen tonight. Stand to your feet. Let's use the altar.